The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. And actually, from Matthew chapter 16, it says, They reply on the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others, Who do you say that I am? Immediately after having said this, Jesus then starts to talk to his disciples about what is going to happen to him in the future. And reading on in Matthew 16, verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. To be honest, I understand exactly what was going to scripture is death. And that is the problem that mankind has had right from the beginning. The problem is that when we sin, that is, when we do the things that God doesn't want us to do, when we're operating outside of God's right plan for our lives, that is sin. And when a man knows what is right to do and doesn't do it, for that man it is sin. So there are many things that we understand. Actually, I shouldn't have done that. For us, that is sin. We know what it is. We don't particularly like the word, but we do have an understanding. It's those things that we've done wrong that we know that we shouldn't have done. And you know what the wage, the right reward for that is? It's death. It's death. The right reward is death. It started right back in the Garden of Eden. And there in the garden there was a tree and God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but not this tree. This tree is a special tree. You do not eat the fruit from that tree. And there was a time when Eve, obviously being fairly near the tree, met Satan and Satan said to her, listen, God's keeping you, or in effect he was saying, God's keeping you from that tree. You've been told not to eat from it. She said, no, we're not to eat from that tree. But he says, the reason that if you eat from that tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And it says in Scripture that when Eve saw that actually this forbidden fruit was maybe worthwhile having, she took it and she ate it. But she died. Not physically at that moment, although later in life she died physically, but she died spiritually at that point because the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death and physical death. And that is something that has come to every one of us because we know that a man is born once and after that faces judgment and dies. The wages of sin is death. Now if you read, and I've just been talking about the very first part of the Bible where there was Adam and Eve, if you were to carry on reading in the Bible, you will start to see that actually the story unfolds that there becomes a sacrificial system that is laid out. And a sacrificial system is where people bore animals and they killed an animal, and they sprinkled its blood on the altar. All a little bit strange for us. But we understand as we read it, the reason they did that is because they were concerned about the fact that sin was in their life, and they needed to make what the Bible calls atonement. That is, to make themselves right with God, to become one with him, to become in a right place with him. 
And to become in that right place with God, knowing that they had sinned, they needed to offer sacrifices. And so there's this whole system where the people would bring an animal, and it needed to be a perfect sacrifice. It's not just like, oh, I've got sort of a, a three-legged lamb, that will do. No, they said, you've got to bring a perfect sacrifice that will then be sacrificed on your behalf, and the death of that animal will pay the price for your sin, will give you atonement before God. But further on in Scripture, we read this, that the blood of animals can never take away our sin. It is, it, it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so, for us, at Easter and on Good Friday, we actually remember Jesus, who was known as the Lamb of God, and he was known as the Lamb of God because he was identifying as a perfect sacrifice for sin, for mankind, for all time. And at Good Friday, we know that he came and he was crucified. In Romans 5, verses 6 to 8, it says this, You see, at just the right time, when we, that is human beings, were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And on that Good Friday, Jesus came as a perfect sacrifice to deal with this issue of sin for all time. And he was killed, he was crucified on the cross, and he was buried. On a cross just outside Jerusalem, there he was crucified, there he died, and from there he was taken and buried, just as he had told his disciples it would happen. Let's pick up on the story from Luke verse 23, chapter 23. Jesus on the cross, it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last and he died. Further on in Luke, it says this, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for the whole world, was buried, laid in this tomb. But that is not the whole story. Jesus did not remain in the grave. Jesus rose again from the dead. On the third day, it says, on the third day early in the morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, says Matthew in his Gospel. Now there was some concern between them, and the concern was this. They remembered that when Jesus had been buried and laid in this tomb, the tomb had an open doorway, and over that open doorway they had rolled a great big stone, and it had been sealed up. 
So their concern, as two women, was thinking like, how are we going to be able to move that stone so that we can get in to lay spices, to put a scent and fragrance around the body of Jesus so that as he decomposed, there wouldn't be a horrible smell coming from the grave. So they were having some discussion amongst themselves. Who is going to move away the stone? How are we going to do that? They were concerned at actually what was going to happen. But when they arrived at the tomb, there was a surprise waiting for them. Because there, the stone had been rolled away. And sitting on that stone was an angel, and an angel then spoke to them. Let's just read the account of what he said. Matthew 28, verses 5 to 7. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where the body was laying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. You see, Jesus had risen from the dead just as he said he would. Just as he said he would. When he asked his disciples that question, who do you say that I am? And then he went on to explain what was going to happen to him. I'm going to suffer at the hands of many people. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I am going to rise again. They hadn't been able to take hold of the story. They hadn't really been able to understand it. And to a degree, we also find it difficult to get hold of. What? That somebody should die to take away the punishment that belongs to us? That somebody would give their lives for that fact? That somebody would love me so much that he would stand in my place to make me right with my God? That is exactly what Jesus did. That is exactly what Jesus did. He did what he said he would do. But this idea of him rising from the dead, even though the disciples had been told about it, they found it difficult to get hold of. The women had gone to the tomb, the tomb was empty. An angel had been explaining to them. And now their job was to go back and tell the other disciples about what they'd seen. Now, if we were to look more closely at that, we find that when they go back and explain to the others, there's a degree of bewilderment. There's a degree of like, we don't understand. There's a degree of like, we'll run to the tomb. Oh, it's empty. Uh, What do we do now? There was something like, we don't really understand it. And there is a sense in which we don't always understand the resurrection. And I therefore want to look at it just a little bit. You know, it's interesting what Paul says. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. Wow, that's a very strong statement for him to make. But he goes on to say this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. 
Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. You see, Paul was expressing to people that actually the resurrection is very important. We like to think of the Jesus crucified, the one who pays the price for our sin, the one who is the sacrifice, and we can get to that point and think like, well, thank God for Jesus. But Jesus did not remain in a grave. He overcame death and he rose again to show that not only is he triumphant, but he is able to be with us. And if he was not held in the grave, then we also will not be held in the grave either. He has power to save and to deliver. There is hope, a living hope in the resurrection. And there is also power in the resurrection. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That is what God did when he raised him up. Let's just look at the importance of the resurrection. I have three very quick points for you. Firstly, the resurrection indicates this. Death is defeated. The fact that Jesus rose again from the dead showed that death does not have any authority over him. In Colossians 2, it says this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave us all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the power of Satan over sin and death. He was victorious. It says that he made a public spectacle of Satan. Everything that the demonic forces could throw at Jesus, he overcame. He triumphed, showing that he has the highest authority. And in Romans 6 verse 9 we read this, Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. The grip of the enemy has been defeated. It has been broken off of us. Death had no hold over Jesus. He was able to rise from the dead. And our faith in Jesus means that death has no hold over us. Does that mean that nobody here will die physically? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that where we were dead spiritually, we have been made alive. And that when Christ returns, he will cause us to rise with him so that we may be made alive again. And so that death will no longer have any dominion or authority over us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he was resurrected, we know that death has been defeated. 
and that is victory for us. Not only has death been defeated, but secondly, sin is forgiven. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. We all know what it feels like that when you sin, you feel guilty. You feel condemned. You feel brought down. Some of you are looking like, no, it hasn't happened for a long while. Well, <laughs> praise God for that. But you know what? These things do happen, and when they happen in our lives, we feel regret. We feel that pang. That's because there is a power in sin, and it affects us. And the work of the enemy, Satan, is to help us to feel condemned. There you are. I always told you you were no good. You've fallen back into sin. But you see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the price for all of your guilt, all of your shame, and all of your sin. He did it all. He took it upon himself. He became the perfect sacrifice to remove every punishment from us. He died, and because he rose again, it proves that he achieved what he set out to do. You see, he could have died, and we could be commemorating this morning his death, and we could be thankful. We believe that Jesus died for our sin. We're very grateful for what he did. We're very grateful that he died on a cross. We have an image of a cross. We have a picture of a crucified Jesus on that cross, and we're remembering everything that he did in his death for us to overcome. But Jesus didn't stay on the cross. Jesus was buried, and he was dead and buried in the tomb, but he rose again to show, to convince you, to give you authority to know that when Jesus says sin is forgiven, he means it is forgiven, and he has proved it because he has risen again to show it. That is what he has done. His power and his authority over sin has shown that by his resurrection, he has broken it. That gives us the courage to know that if death did not hold him, because he died in my place, death cannot hold me. Though I may feel condemned for my sins, because he has overcome, in him I also can overcome. Because if God can raise him from the dead, God can raise me from the dead and take me out of my difficult circumstances, take me out of the bondage of my sin, and give me the life that I see is to be found in Jesus Christ. He has conquered death. He has given us forgiveness of sin. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. And finally, hope is released. Hope is released, and it is a certain hope. The resurrection was necessary for raising our hope. It gives us hope. It gives us a sense of, I can believe that this is true. I have now a living hope. You know what? When we're in a society where everything seems to be going well, the thought of needing a hope diminishes and diminishes. Well, I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to think about the future because after all, life's all around me. And for us... In this Western society, we find food in our fridges. Yeah, I'm not saying that we don't have ups and downs, but you know what? We're not facing 
famine. We seem to have life that life is okay. We can get around. We may not have enough money, but do you know what? We might have enough to buy some food. We might have enough to buy a bus fare to get around. We have life. And so there's a sense in which, oh, okay, we're okay. We don't need to worry about hope. But you see, our world is changing. And all of us, as we're growing up, we notice that things are shifting. Things are getting darker. Society is getting darker. There is a rising up against Christianity. There's a rising up that says, there is no God. We are gods. We can do what we want. We know how to control things. We start to set the moral agenda. We start to say what's right and wrong. The government will back it up with laws so that God himself is pushed out. And it becomes in our society where there is no God. And as it gets darker and darker, for us who do believe there is a God and who believes that his son Jesus came to pay the price for our sins, we find that his rising from the dead gives us a living hope. I know what I'm living for. I know that there is a truth. I know that deep within myself, I know what right and wrong is because God's spirit is writing it within me. And I know that he died for me to set me free from all of the punishment that I would be facing because the wages of sin is death, but free gift of life came through Jesus Christ so that we might know forgiveness. And therefore, as society gets darker, we ourselves find a greater life in that living hope that he gives us. And the hope is that if death could not hold him back, then he is going to raise us up with himself too. And Peter says this in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. All praise to God, he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And we can know that hope and that life by looking and trusting in Jesus, our crucified yet risen Saviour. And you know what? In our lives, we are called to follow after him, to walk with him. What's your situation coming here this morning? Have you come here because you are a believer in Jesus and you want to reinforce that by joining other Christians and worshipping with them and saying, yes, Lord. It's not that I understand everything about you. How can we understand everything about God who is infinite in all of his ways? But I'm learning little by little more about you and I'm seeking to follow you more closely. There's many people here in that situation, but maybe you are here this morning and you have never actually dealt with that weight of sin in your life. That which separates you from God. You've never dealt with that. You've thought about it and at times it's risen its head and at times you've felt really uncomfortable but actually you just want to lay it down and you've managed to get through it and so therefore you carry on with life. But actually deep within yourself there's something that's lacking peace. There's something that's lacking forgiveness. There's something missing. You can't quite put your handle on it, but there's something that's missing. And you notice in other people who seem to know Jesus, they seem to have something. 
that I don't have. I want to tell you that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he went there to die for the sin of the whole world. And so that does not leave any one person out. In fact, the truth is Jesus went to the cross to die for your sin and for mine. And he went there to pay the price because he loved me and because he loves you, because he does not want an eternity without you. He wants an eternity where you are with him and he can be with you. And therefore, when he went to that cross, he went there for you to pay the price for your sin. And he did die to show that he was a sacrifice to God to make atonement, to make you right with God. Does it seem fair? Absolutely it doesn't seem fair. In actual fact, it's the greatest gift that any one of us could receive. That he would die in our place to take our punishment. And on that Good Friday, the heavens went dark, and even the centurion soldiers that were around, they even declared, surely this man was the Son of God. But he died, and the disciples were crying. And Mary, his mother, was weeping because this was my son and he has died and he was buried in that tomb and there was a heaviness. There was a joy inside because they had remembered the good things about Jesus but there was a heaviness that he had been conquered and that he had been crucified. But on that third day, when they went to the tomb, The angel was saying, he is not here. He has risen just as he said he would. He is alive again. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And he has risen to give each one of you a living hope. We haven't time now, but if we were to carry on the story and to see what happened to these disciples, they went from a place of confusion to amazement to joy, and later on as we go into the book of Acts, we see Peter, one of those disciples, the one who had said, surely this must never happen to you. He was then saying to a crippled man, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, because what I have I give unto you. He had received the resurrection life that had been found in Jesus. He was now living in him, and he was giving it to his friends. Folks, that is the transformation that this resurrected Jesus wants to do for every one of us. To take us from a place where there's a shame of our sin and to bring us into a place where we know the fullness of the power of God that is available for every one of us to live a holy life for him. That is why we celebrate on Easter Sunday. That is why we celebrate a crucified Savior, a buried Savior. But hallelujah, today we celebrate a risen saviour who lives forever to make intercession for us. Can we rise up? On the cross, death was defeated. Sin was forgiven. Hope was released. Can I just ask us to bow our heads? Father, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for what you have done. We want you to write this on our hearts. We want, oh God, not to forget, 
but to grow in our understanding of how much you have loved us, how much you have forgiven us, and how much life you want to pour into us. So, Father, we ask of you, please make your glory known to each one of us. Father, touch our hearts again with your presence. May the light of your countenance shine over our hearts today and always. In Jesus' name. Father, for those who have never come to know you, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would draw near to them. Father, bring the fresh understanding of our sin. And may their ears be open to hear that you are the one who forgives sins, who cleanses from all unrighteousness, and who restores us into right relationship with God our Father. So Father, for them I pray, in their hearts right now, will you do a work of resurrecting power? Will you again cleanse them? Will you raise them up? And will you impart your new life to them? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If any one of you, as I was praying that, is thinking like, this is what I want to happen in my life, then I want you to simply pray this prayer with me. In fact, we can all pray it out loud together. Father, we come to you. And we offer our lives to you. We ask you to come and forgive us from every sin that we have committed. We ask you to cleanse us and to make us new. We invite you into our lives and ask you to empower us to live for you from this day onwards. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.